This is the title this morning, uh, Portrait of a Blessed Man. Irrespective of whether we are believers or explorers of Jesus, one thing we will never say no to, speak to anyone, one thing they will never say no to is a blessing. We all want to be blessed. And we all want the hashtag blessed life. Um, if you look on Instagram, there are about 116 million posts on this hashtag. And mind you, these are not any Christian or spiritual. I mean, there are a few of them. But this is just life in general. And um, a couple of days back, Priyanka Chopra uh, posted this video with this... Um, is video playing? Just need to click on... Yeah, I'm pretty sure some of us have seen that. She's just playing with this baby and it's, it's hashtag blessed and not stressed. If you don't know what's happening, they're telling each other, you're so cute, you're so cute, you're so cute. No, you're cute. No, no, you're cute. Now, swimming in a pool in probably some exotic location. And uh, when we think of a blessed life, we probably picture something like this. And if you, if you have a sense of the Instagram posts, most of them are probably on a vacation, very aesthetic and looking good. What is the hashtag blessed life? The Bible talks a lot about it. And today we're going to be looking at one such uh, passage uh, we find in the book called Psalms. It, it is a compilation of various songs and poems um, written uh, mostly by this person called David and a few other authors as well. And, and the theme is constant. They are, they are uh, they're varying themes, but they're either referring to or pointing to Jesus. That's the beauty of it. And that's the beauty of all the Bible. Today we're going to be looking at the first psalm and just the first three verses. Just the first three verses. And it draws a brilliant portrait of this blessed man. What is this blessed life all about? Let's, let's just read that. But before that, let me just pray with us. Father, we want to thank you for so richly speaking to us, comforting us, and making us tangibly known your presence this morning. Lord, now that you are here and you are moving, would you help me just come alongside what you are doing in our hearts? Uh, let this be a lasting impact. Whatever happens today, let it have impact in eternity, Jesus. Uh, speak to us, irrespective of whether we follow us or not. You, you created us all. Speak to us this morning. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's just read this is how the first verse goes. It says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. 
that's, that's the passage. Uh, this is the framework for the talk this morning. The first thing we're looking at, uh, blessed is the one who does not. The second thing we're looking at, blessed is the one who does. He or she is like. What are they like? Let's dive straight in. Blessed is the one who does not. Let's just look at what it doesn't say. It doesn't say, blessed is the one who is not wicked. It doesn't say, blessed is the one who is not a sinner. It doesn't say, blessed is the one who is not a mocker. Which would have been appropriate based on how we live our lives. Uh, but this verse goes one step deeper and further to say, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked. Does not stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. Often growing up, um, if, if you grew up in a Christian circle, uh, this, this verse has probably been used uh, for the basis on which to cut off from the world, uh, cut off from the secular worldly music, uh, movies, uh, these, these dirty businesses, uh, these friends who do stuff. Uh, now I know that most of you went through that. And these questions of if Jesus was sitting next to you, would he be pleased if you're doing what you're doing? What would Jesus do? Isn't that, isn't that familiar? But as we evolved in our faith, and especially in New City, we're constantly discovering how this, this John 17 thing of being in the world and not of the world actually works. This is our call. Uh, God created us to be in this world. So let's, let's see how this verse actually fleshes this philosophy out. Let's dive straight in. This, this verse, I believe, does not say as much as about what we should do and what we shouldn't do. It is speaking about the posture of the heart that actually leads us there. This verse doesn't talk about not being wicked. It talks about not walking in a way that makes whatever we are walking towards wicked. This verse doesn't talk about doing sinful things. It, it talks about whatever you are journeying towards, whatever your call is, whatever you are here, whatever you are passionate about, do not stand in or take the way the sinners take to get there. What does this mean? Sin is not birthed in our action, but it is birthed in the posture of our heart that gets us there. Oftentimes, especially uh, here at New City, we feel called to be uh, in these places which are probably considered dirty and unholy. Um, and the day-to-day -day choices become such a struggle. I mean, uh, we have some actors here. What, what role do we take? There are so many roles in the gray area. What can we do? What songs can I write about? Can I be honest and write about what I'm going through? Uh, wh what can I write about? Um, how can I promote a brand that I personally do not believe in? It, it affects with my faith. Th these are all real struggles, right? Do, do, do we go through this? Irrespective of whether we're believers or followers, we, we, we go through this. I don't believe in this, but this is my work. What do I do? This is my struggle. Oftentimes it's not in the black or white. But this morning, God is actually reminding us that sin is not ultimately determined by what we do, but by the posture of the heart that gets us there. And, and, and the comfort is, when we look at this verse, stand in the way that sinners take. 
the way that the sinners take in this verse is not, it's not just one fold it's not just one way it is two we often look at the licentious way and say hey that is sin but the first way is actually what the legalists take in demonizing culture and say any engagement with this is bad anything is bad if you've grown up in a traditional household we the chances are that we probably swung to the other extreme and now we are rebelling and saying this is what i will do um this the and and we do it so much we we drive our uh, we derive our sense of worth and identity from it and we are ultimately consumed by it but the way we ought to take is the way that the gospel paves what it says is if god created this and we messed it up but he actually died and paid for that mess and he's using me and you to renew these things to ultimately have it perfectly restored what is my role today what is my role today how many of us seen the movie the joker if you not yet seen it don't worry i, I don't intend to give any spoilers away but do watch it before i speak next okay. <laughs> you can watch the movie and feel three ways about it the first is oh gosh this is terrible this is i feel guilty even watching this i mean how can i promote and pay a ticket to watch this movie i'm actually contributing i feel guilty i'm pretty sure most of us don't feel that way the other extreme is the equally sinful way of just watching that movie and being so uh, you know captivated by that movie and that character and like that is the man so authentic so real he's so he's going after justice he believes in justice so much anyone comes in the way gone he is the embodiment of justice i want to be this guy don't we all need more jokers no we don't no <laughs> see the other way we are so engrossed by it and we we really are consumed by this and what is the third gospel way to go about this the picture of gotham is is very much probably to a much dramatized extent but it really is a beautiful picture of what is happening today in our cities and sin is real this movie shows it more than anything else and if we feel it disturbs the sanctity of the church then friends jesus came to die for nothing we are sinning all the more by not acknowledging the presence of sin around us in the presence of sin in us legalism prevents you from enjoying god's blessing with the fear of abusing it licentiousness idolizes the blessing and seeks to derive the pleasure it was never meant to give only a gospel centered heart can truly enjoy every blessing of the father everything he has created for us to enjoy so the question is in tricky situations which side is our heart swaying towards how do we train our hearts to take the gospel way this takes me to the second point blessed is the one who does psalmist says 
This is the one who delights in the law of the Lord and he meditates on it day and night. What the psalmist is inviting us to is not merely avoiding sin. That's, that's, that's a terrible way. I mean, we've, we've done that. We've, we've resolved. We're like, okay, from tomorrow, no, not doing this, not going back there ever again. And we often find ourselves there. What the psalmist is inviting us to is, is replacing the delight we find in the sin or the thing that really captures our heart with the delight we find in the word of God. He's actually saying delight in the word of God. Read it. Read it day and night. Now I know what this sounds like. Every week we come here, we talk about, yes, you have to read the Bible, you have to read the Bible. We go back and it's not happening. Then we come back again. Yes, I have to read the Bible. You have to read the Bible. Go back. It's not, it, I know it can get pretty repetitive. I mean, it pretty much reminds me of a Sunday school story where a Sunday school teacher asks, what is a little gray, little and gray and eats nuts, uh, eats nuts and has a bushy tail? So the child thinks to himself, uh, it reminds me of a squirrel, but we are, since we are in Sunday school, I think the answer is Jesus. <laughs> it's pretty much like that. While the answer is Jesus, we are so familiar with this, we are so familiar with it, that we forget the heart behind what this answer is all about. So let me invite us to look at the word the psalmist is using. He's using the word delight. When was the last time you had an amazing meal and you felt delighted? Remember that feeling. Oftentimes we don't feel that way while reading the Bible. Let's be honest. Let's be honest. I mean, growing up, you, we've often heard, uh, read the Bible, read your Bible. If you grew up in a Christian home, read the Bible every day, read the Bible every day. If I don't read the Bible, I can't go out to play. You know, all these things, if I don't read the Bible and go to work, you know, something my boss will scold me. It's all these, all these uh, things that really got to us, but we often forget that the ultimate goal of the Bible is not just to read it every day, but to delight in it. When we start delighting in it, reading it every day is just a byproduct. It's just a byproduct. And, and here in New City, if you ever felt that we are just getting you to read the Bible every day and not just delight in it, we're sorry. The Bible is ultimately made, written, and inspired by the Holy Spirit for our delight. How can we delight in the Bible? Let's look at the logical flow. It says, whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on this every day and night. Now when we see this word meditate, we're like, dude, not my thing. Meditating, I mean, forget it. Uh, day and night, I've got a lot of things to do. Uh, the Collins Dictionary actually, uh, it, it, it defines it this way. If you meditate on something, you think about it very carefully and deeply for a long time. Now by this definition, we are all natural meditators. We often meditate on and think about something that our heart delights in, be it work, be it money, be it fame, be it whatever we are often thinking about. How does it, how does it work? I'm sure most of you will relate 
with me in this example. The one thing that is really close to my heart is money. Very honest. And how do I obsess over it? I think about it through the day. I wake up and I'm like, um, should, I, should I just go for like a filter coffee or should I drink like koinonia, glutokai? I think filter coffee is cheaper. Let's just stick to this. How do I go to work? Uh, Uber uh, or just the train? Uh, Uber is, you know, like five times more expensive. Let me just take the train. And, and what do I order for lunch? Uh, if I'm hanging out with friends, Zomato Gold just expired. <laughs> I don't want to pay so much. You, you get what I'm thinking? I often, I often check my uh, mobile bank app at least thrice a week. And I'm just constantly thinking about it, thinking about it. I'm actually meditating on money day and night. Now imagine the same thing if I knew and knew about these, uh, this verse which says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one or love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And this promise that God gives, but remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth. Now imagine this is what is in my mind. Now imagine the same decisions again and again. What is my heart? Is my heart to save money or is my heart to just serve people? What is at the center of my heart? I'm thinking about this again and again. Okay, this is the decision. Uh, the Bible says, God is the provider of wealth, not my gifts and talents. So how do I act here? Tim Keller says it really beautifully. He says, meditation is thinking a truth in and thinking a truth out until the ideas become big and sweet, moving and affecting, and until the reality of God is sensed in the heart. If this is the definition of meditating, does this sound doable? Does this sound desirable? It's not emptying our minds and just being blank. It's actually filling our minds with the gospel truth and saying, hey, if this is true, what does this mean here? How does this tie up with the blessed life? Reading and meditating on the word doesn't earn us the very blessing of God, even though it seems like it, who delights in the word of God. No, it doesn't earn us. It only helps us grow and experience all the blessings that are already ours in Jesus. This is how reading and meditating on the word works. Even as I, I know that even as we listen to this, there is something in our heart which says, it is difficult, I can't do this, I know I'm going to fail. Allow me to just close with focusing on what this ultimate blessed man, he or she is like. It says, this person, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in, in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Isn't that insane? I'm like, how unrealistic is this picture? It sounds so unreal, so euphoric. Whatever they do prospers. Wow. Isn't this the blessing we all desire for, looking for? Yeah. But we all do know that when we look around us, even the best and the most holiest of people that we think and we know, are really not able to enjoy 
and match this description. This this portrait of a blessed man is quite unrealistic if you look. Even not just the requirement, you've seen the requirement. Even the expectation, the portrait is quite unrealistic. But allow me to just go deeper and show Jesus is the only man who lived on this earth to fit this description. He's the only man who did not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers like we understand it. He's the only one who delighted in the law so much that he came down to fulfill it on our behalf. He truly lived the fruit-bearing, non-withering life. And he prospered in everything that he did. He is the fulfillment of this psalm. He earned the very blessing of God. He chose to forego and become himself the curse for all that we have done. All these requirements, we've, we've terribly met them. I mean, we've so far. But when Jesus was hanging on that cross, God was picturing you and I there. Your sin on mine, on Jesus. And he punished him. He paid with his life. Now I'm sure while we were reading that psalm, some flashbacks of us doing some things that we are not proud of might have come in our mind. But friends, the good news is Jesus met the requirements on our behalf. He is not just the perfect example. He is the perfect substitute. When God looks at us, He looks at us as if we have fulfilled each of those requirements. Isn't that amazing? But if this is the real blessing, you might ask me, I am so far from experiencing this blessing right now. Is this a dilemma in our, in our mind? I am so far from experiencing this blessed life. What is in it for me now? How does it work now? Let's look at what this amazing follower of uh, Jesus uh, had to say in Romans. He says, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? This sounds like prosperity, right? This is real prosperity. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Isn't this the narrative of our lives? No, in all these things, it doesn't say apart from all these things. It doesn't say in the absence of all these things. It says in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. This is real prosperity. What Jesus is saying is come trial, come tribulation. Everything is for your good. Everything is for the blessed life. Everything is going to make sense in eternity. When you look back, you, you're, you're wondering, wow, that was for my good. Doesn't this seem like a more realistic definition of the blessed life and the realistic portrait of the blessed man? This is true gospel prosperity, friends.
whatever we do, whatever we face, we are still more than conquerors. It just doesn't stop there. There is a hope that one day all of this is going to be real. No pain, no trial, no hardship, hearts just fixed on Jesus, just worshipping and, and no sense of any distraction and nothing troubling us. We are lost in love and worship of our Savior. It is true. It is true. This morning, if you are an explorer of Jesus and you are just checking Jesus out, can we ask ourselves, what is the prosperity that our soul really wants? What is the prosperity that we are looking for? Is it, is it the one that weathers the storms of life? Or is it that unrealistic midas touch kind of blessing? If we desire this true, lasting and deep prosperity and blessing, this morning Jesus is inviting us. He is offering this very thing. The God who was perfect in every way, deserving the blessing of the Father, chose to forego so that you and I can enjoy this. You and I can know what real blessing is. You know, He redefined blessing. He redefined prosperity. Is this what our soul is longing for this morning? Only Jesus, who knows what it is to go through, what you and I are going through, can offer this blessing. Would you want to try Jesus this morning? As followers, how can we deepen our roots so that we drink deep from the living waters that is Jesus and, and experience every blessing that is already ours in Jesus. Let me invite us to wrestle with God for a moment, shall we? If your word says it is really delightful, if this is true, would you help me experience this? Holy Spirit is our guide. Remember our goal is not just to merely read it, our goal is to delight in it. Even as I close, allow me to just close with the portrait. Imagine this portrait and all those strokes there is our life. The trials, the tribulations. But in that portrait is also some blessings we know that God has for us. Some, this, these promises that God has for us. What sense does it make? What sense does it make? You might be looking at your life and staring and seeing, God, where are you in all of this? Where are you in all of this? I can't see you. I can't see you. What sense does that make? You know what happens when we read the Bible every day? The Bible turns our life upside down and shows us all that we are going through in perspective. It shows that every blessing, every, every trial that we are going through, every tribulation that we are going through, Jesus has gone through it. 
It all makes sense in Him. Every blessing that we have, every promise that God gives us, it is met in Jesus who died for us. This is the real portrait of the blessed man. With this in mind, the Bible actually offers us this every morning. It shows us Christ crucified and resurrected every day. And that's our hope, friends. Can we pray and say, God, Holy Spirit, help me. If your word is really delightful and Jesus is the delight of our hearts, show me every day. I want to enjoy. Allow me to pray and close. Jesus, today this, we worship you as the perfect as the perfect substitute. All that the psalm says, you have lived it. You have lived it and fulfilled it on our behalf. Lord, because you did that, we want to ask, we want to grow in experiencing this blessing that you died for in our daily lives. This blessing is already ours. Thank you, Lord Jesus. But our hearts feel so different. Would you help us experience this every day? Holy Spirit, would you help us experience this every day? Would you actually make this word, help us taste it, train our palate, train our palate to enjoy the delightful riches in the word? We can't do this without you, Holy Spirit. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.